Breach trends are shifting in the healthcare sector. We're seeing many more mega breaches involving cyber attacks this year compared to years past. So how are healthcare entities adjusting their privacy and security strategies in light of these trends? I'm Marianne Kolbesek-McGee, Executive Editor at Information Security Media Group. Today I'm speaking with Dave Summit, Director of Information Security and HIPAA Security Officer at the Moffitt Cancer Center in Florida. Dave will be speaking to us about the steps that his organization is taking to bolster information security in light of the recent health data breach trends we've been seeing. So now, Dave, the Department of Health and Human Services Wall of Shame website of major breaches shows that we're still seeing a lot of breaches involving the theft and loss of unencrypted devices, which have been the most common culprit for major breaches for a long time. However, hacker attacks on the healthcare sector so far this year have affected a lot more individuals, almost 100 million people to date. Why do you think we're seeing this shift in big health data breaches? I believe the question really has two completely different types of threats, and I believe this is where HHS could revamp the reporting to be a little more beneficial for us. The data breaches of involving unencrypted data through theft and loss of devices uh, is just a little bit misleading, and I say this because if a more detailed analysis of these events were conducted, one would most likely find that the intent of the theft wasn't for the data on the device rather than the value of the device itself. Now, with that said, why organizations allow spreadsheets with tens or hundreds of thousands of protected data on any laptop or computer is is really baffling at best, and this certainly doesn't meet minimum necessary requirements. Those are just low-hanging fruit in one offset, I believe, that uh, why they're still being done, and, and unfortunately organizations aren't taking care of it. Now, regarding hacker attacks and why I think we're seeing a shift, quite frankly, because they can, healthcare isn't really ready for prime time, definitely prime time security. It's just been in the last five to seven years where shifts in healthcare security is taking on, you know, taking root and taking hold, and there aren't a lot of or nor are there enough knowledgeable people to make changes fast enough within healthcare. So they're way behind. Now, one of the thoughts in the hacker world is to go for low-hanging fruit, or in other words, organizations that don't or can't place controls that deter or make it difficult to get in or get out. The thinking was that that existed with small organizations because larger organizations were spending money on doing this. But the truth is, and we're finding this out, is that why go for the little score with small places when they can just as easily penetrate the large organization and run out with more massive amount of data? Now, Anthem, to me, is just the beginning they're just the insurance company. I believe we're just on the edge of seeing some large and major healthcare provider organizations or companies that provide EHR applications as being the next news stories. Data doesn't become valued until there's a market for it, and the market is there. There's no other industry that has more information about me than healthcare. So if you think about that, a healthcare facility has my financial data, my insurance data, my family data, medical, very personal notes in the EHR record, which could include psych data. All of this can build very detailed file of who I am, and I can use it for false insurance claims, identity theft, tax fraud, even blackmail. And now we're looking at DNA and genome data going into these records as well. So that, I believe, is why this shift is, is starting to occur within healthcare, and I think that nation states and 
the hacker world is realizing, hey, it's really easy to grab that data from healthcare organizations. What are you doing at Moffitt to bolster data security and privacy in light of these breach trends? Again, there's no argument really that the threat to healthcare assets is there, but via data devices or the network and is growing. I'm making sure that we have several layers of security in place, which is going to be your traditional response for most security guys. But two of the more predominant ones for me are activity monitoring and security awareness. As with a lot of organizations, personal resources and budgetary constraints prevent or hinder a lot of activity from occurring that should be part of a security program. So one has to prioritize according to the threat landscape. So I actually, and my team here, constantly reviews various sources of what's going on out there right now, and we look at what they're reporting, and we look at our network to see if it may be occurring within our network. In the monitoring area, just knowing and understanding the traffic on your network and becoming very intimate with it, both from an incoming and outgoing and internal perspective, anything unusual deserves attention, and that's where we kind of place our focus on. I'm a big proponent of security awareness training. I believe that the security organization or team that you may have in in an organization isn't just the team you have in place. It's the entire organization. I, I liken it to maybe comparing it to just out there with real law enforcement. When you hear of police responding to a theft or something like that, it's because the people out there have seen it and they're reporting it. So I look at that as the, my user base. If I can get my users to understand threats and keep them aware of what is going on in, in the real world, then they'll be reporting things to us that we just quite frankly, don't have the resources to keep looking into. So as soon as it gets reported, then we can respond. To me, security awareness is one of the key things of getting any organization at least to a higher level of awareness to what our threats are. Dave, some of the successful hacking attacks that we have seen in the healthcare sector have involved phishing. Is there anything in particular that you're doing to guard against phishing attempts being successful by the attacker at your organization? We have some fairly uh, complicated filtering in place that probably catches about 90 90 to 95% of our spam attempts and phishing attempts but it's that 5% that I worry the most about. So, again, it goes back to training the user to understand what that email may be. I've been here a short time at Moffitt, and already we've seen an increase of users starting to report, well, I don't know what this email is, and that's only because we have been out there letting them know that, hey, these types of things need to be reported. Don't click on that link in, in the email. Delete it immediately. Let us know when you get it so we can go back in and our systems and put something in place that could potentially catch it in the future and remove it out of our environment as quickly as we can. So, Dave, as a cancer research center, what are the biggest privacy and security challenges that you face as you protect patient data that's used or shared with others for research? And as you mentioned earlier, DNA data is also becoming more common. What are the challenges in protecting that, for instance? Education by far, uh, that's the biggest challenge that I have. Incorporating data and computer security into the culture of other professions is a very difficult thing to do. Clinicians, um, you know, i.e. doctors, nurses, techs, and others that support them are here to do something very specific. That's care for, heal, and make people comfortable. 
the process of protecting data generated on those patients is not their priority. And that's putting it very respectfully. In the research world, it's additionally challenging because research data is wanted and needed to be shared to further the research, not hoard or hide it, which we in security have a tendency to do. All security professionals need to be in the education mode at all times. It used to be that security people were those sitting in a dark room doing who knows why, and the only time they were ever heard from was when something's wrong or they were screaming, no, you can't do that. Now, I believe those days are gone, but unfortunately still exist in a lot of places. There are items and processes that can be put into place through collaboration with, the, with those researchers that would allow them to do what they need to do while making it as secure as possible or reducing risk to acceptable levels. So this goes back also to my comment on security awareness training. It's very, very important that the security organization becomes embedded in the whole workflow processes in the different departments in an organization to help them understand we're here to protect you and have a minimal impact on what you need to get done. So, Dave, you mentioned how important education and awareness is. If something does go wrong and someone makes a mistake, are there any sort of technology safeguards that catch these incidents before they become something serious, whether it's somebody falling for a phishing attack or maybe someone sharing patient data in an email? You know, in a perfect world, we're going to catch everything, and every organization should be proactive. In reality, that's just not the case. There's absolutely no way that we can be 100% safe. Things are going to get through. So, the, you know, going to your question, what do we have in place or what can we put in place to help prevent this? There are a lot of things that you can do, and that's jump on the incidences as quickly as possible and not hinder yourself or put it off. And basically what we do, let's say just like example, phishing attempt. We've seen a user click on a phishing link and it does something it's not supposed to do. If we're alerted right then, the very first thing we begin to do is go straight to our email system and start finding out where all this email is in our organization, and we begin removing it immediately before it, anybody else can start doing things. And then we go triage the incident itself to see what actually may have occurred, and then we just follow up depending on really what it did. And, and in most cases, with a phishing attempt, the whole point is to get something downloaded into the person's environment so it can begin doing its thing. So we're really quick on jumping on that and, and looking at those particular items with that person. And then we also look at where that link may have gone out into the real world. So we immediately put blocks on anything that we've seen leave the organization that doesn't have business with our organization, including we just downright block any foreign countries that we know we don't do business with from in and out. And that's not a catch-all, but it is something that at least reduces a lot of our susceptibility. So we do subscribe to different threat alerts from different places that have identified, already identified these things as being malicious or potentially malicious, and then we let our control systems take over at that point. So, Dave, going back to the topic of research data, the 21st Century Cures Bill that was recently passed by the U.S. House of Representatives and is on its way to the Senate proposes changes to the HIPAA privacy rule those changes would make it easier for healthcare entities to use or share patient data for research purposes. Basically, research would fall under the operations exception in HIPAA, 
where healthcare entities can use or disclose information for research purposes without patient consent. Now, if these proposals become law, any thoughts on how it might affect your data privacy or security practices related to research data? First thought, I would say it won't affect how I conduct security. I'll work to protect privacy regardless of the outcome of this bill. In the end, there will still be a lot of debate and revision due to the increasing discussions over that act. But I think more importantly, we have to be very careful at doing security for compliance sake. Too many organizations, especially healthcare, have a fear of not meeting law. So therefore, they go through and create checklists. Checklist security is false security. Ironically, when security is being properly conducted, the organization by default will meet intent of the law. Meaningful use is one case of this. I know of organizations that drive security around meeting meaningful use requirements because of two things. One, monetary payments that come in by meeting your meaningful use, and two, or the fear of having to pay back because they didn't do something right. CIOs and leaders in the healthcare industry should be more concerned with where sensitive data resides in their environment and whether they had conducted the appropriate assessments to risk and threats and mitigating those risks and threats. These types of neglect are career-changing events. In response to is research data going to be included in the operations exception to HIPAA. The operations exception to HIPAA doesn't remove the requirement to protect the data. And that's where I would make my stand on, that even though it goes under operations and there's certain things you can now do with it, it still is required to be protected. In protecting complex and really sensitive data such as DNA, genomic data, what are the biggest challenges protecting that data versus typical EHR data that you would see on a patient? The massive amount of data in the, in the research side with DNA is probably the, the biggest challenge because it is huge. And again, it goes back to the researchers needing to share that data. And therefore, the challenge again becomes how to educate the researcher in that we still have to protect this data because what really happens in, at least in most organizations that I have ever had that experience with is that the researchers have such a wide range of people they need to share and want to share. They're so focused on the research that they're forgetting that the data is still privacy data in a lot of cases and needs to be protected. So what they end up doing is what's the easiest way for me to get this data from point A to who I need to get it to? And instead of coming to what solution the organization may have, they may go off and do it on their own, i.e., easy to drop it into a cloud storage system and then give someone rights to it. So the organizations need to be fully aware of that and how you handle that on a case-by-case basis. Because, again, I want to help the researchers do what they need to do, but I want to make sure they're, they're getting it done securely. So it's very important for me to be in contact with the researchers, and the researchers know that they can reach out to me to help get that done properly. We have a lot of brilliant, intelligent researchers here at Moffitt, and they're very focused on getting their research accomplished. So the last thing I want to do is do any type of thing that's going to impact or hinder what they need to get done. Thanks, Dave. I've been speaking to Dave Summit. I'm Marianne Kolbesak-McGee of Information Security Media Group. Thanks for listening.